welcome you to another edition of Being Well Informed. And I have with me, I'm so glad to have with me at this very hour, uh, the uh, very accomplished uh, the Honorable Carl Snowden, who is uh, currently the convener of the Caucus of African-American Leaders. And we are just thrilled to have you. You are such a historian. Well, thank you for the invitation. Uh, sorry for the mix up last week, but congratulations well, on yes. your program and getting thank it started. You. Thank you so much. This program, Being Well-Informed, is really all about uh, making listeners more aware of events and issues. Uh, we're going to follow this uh, topic uh, today, your presence, also with the topic of long-term care insurance and how that has changed over the years. Uh, so we're going to talk about voting. We're going to talk about uh, the Emmett Till app that your caucus is, is really at the forefront of. And we're going to uh, again, enlighten our audience with so much information. Uh, so we will hope you continue to stay tuned. So um, Carl Snowden, it has been quite an eventful week with voting, don't you think? Yeah, voting, of course, in Maryland, of course. So, uh, Maryland is uh, on the brink of making history. In the state of Maryland, we have never had any African-American elected statewide. It just never has happened. Uh, Maryland boasts it's got more postgraduate degrees with African-Americans with postgraduate degrees than any state in the union. The state of Maryland does. Um, when you think of that, Maryland is a relatively small state when compared to uh, New York or California. But we have more people with post-PhDs or graduate degrees than any other state. However, we also at the same time have more African-Americans incarcerated per capita than any state in the, in the union. That's and a sad statistic. The sad statistic, and it tells us what time it is. Uh, on the one hand, we are seeing uh, African-American people get, grad, uh, get these graduate degrees where uh, we have uh, one of the most affluent enclaves in Prince George's County than anywhere in the country. Yet the problems that African-Americans are faced with, Claudia, remains to be systemic. So the reason the elections were so important, because for the first time, we now have the very likelihood of having an attorney general who will be an African-American and very likely a governor who will be African-American. That has never happened before, and it could only happen now because of the right to vote. So this voting is very, very important. What brought all this on? I mean, the energy, the, you know, the, the changes. Well, we're living in interesting times. Um, all over the nation, uh, voting rights are being challenged. Laws are being passed to suppress the vote of African-Americans. And too often, people don't know the history, even here in Maryland. Um, for example, in 1909, there was what was called the Grandfather's Clause. Grandfather Clause was passed by the Maryland General Assembly. And what the Grandfather Clause said was, if your grandfather couldn't vote, you can't vote. That law disenfranchised tens of thousands of black people, lost the right to vote. 
most people have no idea that the Maryland General Assembly once disenfranchised African-Americans. They don't know that history. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Court, six years later, 1915, to restore the rights of African-Americans to vote. And so I love this program, um, keeping people informed, because people have to know, A, their history, and B, be able to tell their own narrative. Yes. And you know, one of the things, Claudia, as a lawyer, you will certainly appreciate this. When Roe versus Wade was struck down, um, it was passed, as you know, in 1971, when it was struck down by the Supreme Court, uh, political pundits and legal scholars said it was the first time that women had been denied the right to, uh, to, to an abortion or to choice. And that's simply not true. It's the first time white women were denied that right. In 1836, when the same Supreme Court, that same institution passed the Dred Scott decision, which said that black people had no rights, that white people were bound to respect, black women were routinely raped by their slave masters and they had no legal recourse. They had lost control of their body due to the Supreme Court. It's uh, that particular Dred Scott decision placed in law the right of white men to be able to rape black women without there being any legal consequence. And most people don't 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 know that. And so when they say that uh, Roe versus Wade was the first time women lost the right to vote, it's just simply not true. Mm-hmm. You have to have the knowledge of that history. Right. You do. You do. So in this particular election, there uh, seems to be on the Republican end um, a, a, a nominee in the governor's race that was endorsed by former President uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, um, this particular election and this particular nominee, it's so clear. It is going to be so clear. Uh, Assuming, as I do, that the nominee is going to be an African-American on this end, uh, Merlinus, and in particular white Merlinus, will have to make a judgment. Do you take a Harvard-trained, well-educated, well-recognized uh, African-American who has served this nation well, or do you take a guy named Cox, who's a former delegate, who was so extreme on so many ways? Uh, he does not believe in choice. He... The, he uh, Literally, wanted to impeach, impeach the current president, uh, current uh, governor. Yes, governor. Governor. He uh, he worked actively to uh, impeach him. And Governor Hogan today, in a press interview, said that he believed that Cox will cost the Republican Party um, the governorship. And I agree with Governor Hogan. He's such an extremist. So this is a a, a different um, uh, outcome for Maryland, do you think, in some ways? It is for Maryland. Remember, uh, there were two big losers, two big losers on uh, Tuesday. And those losers were Governor Larry Hogan and Governor Larry Hogan. Governor Hogan selected his home, his uh, successor. He handpicked the successor that he wanted to secede him. And the argument was, in Maryland, is it Hogan Republicans or the Trump Republicans? And this election clearly showed that Trump Republicans, um, the element 
the ilk that runs the Trump Trump uh, wing of the party prevailed, and they prevailed greatly. So it was a major defeat for Hogan. And as you also know, Hogan um, interjected himself in the state's attorney's race and selected a candidate to support. And that candidate came in third place, uh, showing you that uh, Hogan's influence is not what it is. He really is a lame duck governor at this point. Do you think the January 6th insurrection impacted in any way how voters thought and how they voted? No, no. I think in time it will. I'm looking forward to tonight's hearing, which I think will reveal more about the, what the role of Trump was. But no, I think I think several things impacted on this election. One, it was held in July. <laughs> uh, Merlinders are not used to voting in July. So it affected the turnout. Um, People who traditionally would mail in, the mail-in is not was not as great as it would have been had it been held in the fall. Um, but I think the factors that that determine this election was turnout. Um, you had all these candidates running for governor. Most people had not heard of them. And so those candidates that were better financed and better able to turn out um, a get-out-the-vote effort prevailed. There are not any upsets at all. Well, the, the, the question also is um, going to the polls, at least I voted during early voting, oh, and uh, Maryland is one of those unique states where they give you plenty of options. You had a whole week of early voting from, from sunup almost to sundown, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or something like that for seven straight days, and that's before the actual primary day. Then you have the whole primary day. Then you have mail-in ballots options this particular year. And, so, and you can also uh, register to vote on the same day. And you can register to vote on the same day. And vote. How good does it get? I think, though, that one of the things that we have to do, you have to be able to tell voters why it's important to vote, why these elections make a difference, and be able to, once people have voted, deliver, right? Because... It's one thing to get elected to public office. It's another thing to deliver. And one of the criticisms that I think is a legitimate criticism of current, many current public elected officials is that instead of being public servants, they want to be many celebrities. They want to have an entourage. They want to be treated like they're rock stars. And I think uh, that's a turnoff for a lot of voters. Mm -hmm. Voters want people who will serve them, put their interests first, and... Uh, make a difference in their lives. And historically, we can point to elected officials who happen to be African-Americans. Once they got elected into public office, they made a difference. Uh, Washington, D.C., uh, Marion Burry was a great mayor. I mean, he made a difference in the lives of Washingtonians. I lived in Washington during the Burry years, and I can attest that he made a difference. I lived in Chicago for a while. I was there when Harold Washington became the mayor of Chicago, he made a difference. And so getting people elected to public office who will make a difference is uh, what we need and inspire people to come out. When Maynard Jackson was mayor of Atlanta, the reason why we have the business airport in the nation in Atlanta, Georgia, is to be given, the credit is to be given to Maynard Jackson. He was able to make sure that African-American businesses uh, profited from the expanding of that particular airport. 
So if, if a, um, a voter came to you and said, all I see is just a sea of signs and I haven't done any research, I don't know who to vote for. I think there are a lot of uh, citizens out there in that position. What would you say? I think you, you're right. And I would say you've come to the right person. <laughs> my, uh, my granddaughter is a first time voter. She turned 18. She got her diploma in one hand and her voter registration card in another. And so she got the ballot because we did the mail-in. And she said, uh, Granddaddy, I, I don't know any of these people. I don't know what to do. I said, I can help you with that. And the same way I would offer to help her, uh, I would offer the, through the caucus to help any citizen who don't know who to vote for or don't have the information. And by the way, it's not difficult to understand why people would have difficulty. When you look at the ballot, um, even those who are veteran voters, you had the governor, you had the attorney general, you had the members of Congress to vote for, you had races that included the orphan judge, circuit court, register of wills, people who simply said, well, what do these people do? You know, And so it's important that they have some help and we could do that. We monitor the records of these elected officials. We know which elected officials have been very supportive of our efforts and we know which ones have not. And so we're in a position to be able to advise people and as your program pointed out and inform them so that the decision that they make is an informed vote. It's not based on the fact that I keep seeing this name in the newspaper or this picture up or this person on television. It's here's what these people have done either for us or to us, which is why we either should vote for them or vote them out of office. And we can well, that. it's important that you said what what these people have done because somebody could write on their on their their campaign literature, Navy veteran, and uh, you know somebody. Oh well, he's part of the Navy. Yeah. Got my respect. Yeah. Okay. Check. Well, those, out. Yeah, those days are kind of over with. Um, that's why it's important that we have these kind of discussions. Uh, every vote that you cast should be for something. Right? So if you're casting a vote for mayor, you should have some idea what you want your mayor to do, right? Or if you're casting for county executive or governor, the bottom line is whoever you vote into public office should improve the quality of your life or the lives of your children. And I give the example of Baltimore City, just as an example. For people who know what Greenmount Avenue is um, in Baltimore City, if you go down Greenmount Avenue, or you go to Baltimore, you have a huge number of vacant houses, right? Right. So if a candidate comes and says to you, if I'm elected to public office, I'm going to address vacant housing. I'm going to see to it that's more affordable housing. That will resonate with voters. So they vote for that person. If four years later, um, they've done nothing about the vacant housing, they've not built more affordable housing, it shouldn't be hard to figure out how you need to vote because promises made must be promises kept, and we must keep everybody accountable. If they're in public office, we've got to hold them accountable, regardless of what position they have, what their gender is, what their ideology is, or what their race is. They've got to be held accountable. Well, in your work as the convener of the Caucus of African-American Leaders in Anne Arundel County, uh, I have uh, noticed that 
your work does not stop after the, you know, after the election is over. You tend to work with the person you've chosen, to, you know, in the in that elected position. And it so the work goes further. Right. In fact, that's, a, you know, the, it's so important that people understand that casting one's vote is only one part of holding people accountable. You know, there are commissions, there are boards, there are decisions that will be made that affects your quality of your life. So you've got to be involved. Um, you've got to hold your elected official accountable. And more importantly, you've got to have a seat at the table. It was Shirley Chisholm, the late Shirley Chisholm, the late great Shirley Chisholm, who said you either have to have a place at the table or you bring your own chair and demand a seat at the table. And that's what we have to do. Well, I can attest to the fact that you have a seat at the table. I mean, literally, you are in the mayor's office with a group of, of, of workers who are articulating policy. And we've seen some, you know, if we come to Annapolis, I mean, I could point to a lot of progress that we've made in the city of Annapolis. Uh, Annapolis was one of the first municipalities before the Maryland government, Maryland state government passed required body cameras. We had body cameras in 2014. And those body cameras came because of the agitation and the litigation that we were involved in demanding that there be body cameras. And so we had body cameras. Um, we've had a huge change in the police department um, as a result of bringing a new chief in who happened to be an African-American. We've seen an increase of women, African-Americans and Latinos on the Annapolis Police Department. The department is more reflective of the community that it serves. And the progress doesn't stop there. We've been able to see a number of things accomplished just from applying the pressure keeping people informed and making a difference. It's just open. This is a public housing. It used to be called Newtown 20. It was absolutely terrible shape. Uh, that place, and now we have. So, you know, this requires though, meetings with county executives, um, mayors, uh, and their staff to uh, really articulate your concerns um, uh, and uh, having a seat at the table when the police chief is being uh, chosen. Uh, it's, it requires efforts like that to really um, uh, follow up after the election to be sure the, prom you know, the campaign promises are in fact met. Uh, but uh, there's, there's so much work, I, I believe, you know, it sounds like there's still work to be done. No question. No question. And, and, Many of the problems that are confronted, let's use Baltimore City. Baltimore City is an excellent example. As I told you, I lived in Baltimore, I worked in Baltimore. The problems of Baltimore City are not intractable. They're not unsolvable. Baltimore City, in my opinion, needs leadership that cares, that absolutely cares. It, make, it makes a huge difference. And some of the kinds of things that the leadership of Baltimore City should do and could do is what some would think is relatively simple, but it means so much. First, litter, just cleaning up the city, physically cleaning up the city, giving people some sense that, you know, we, we want to change the way uh, certain neighborhoods look. 
and we're going to put the resources in it to make a difference. Um, in Baltimore City, as you know, violence and gun violence have become so routine, so routine that people hardly uh, pause unless the victim is white or Jewish. Then it becomes a huge issue, you know. Uh, but when you look at the number of young people who happen to be African-American who are dying in Baltimore City, and the reaction to that is like business as usual. But whenever someone else of another complexion dies, it's a whole different approach that's taken. And so we've got to make sure that all human life is held with the same sense of value. If it's wrong to kill someone who's a entrepreneur, then it should be wrong to kill someone who lives in a neighborhood who's just trying to make it. You have authored a book, and I'd like you to share more about that book that you've authored. Thanks, Talia, for that. I, um, As you know, my mother lived to be 104 years old. She um, did. And I have, I just, my mother was um, uh, in many ways a saint. But one of the things that my mother told me was the importance of the narrative, telling the story. And if you let other people tell your story, you don't get the same impact. So when I wrote this book, it's called Some People Watch Clocks, I Watch People. And you can learn a lot by just watching people. And so it's, I was able to, as you know, um, I was hired by the, um, the Chicago Tribune, which owns the Capitol newspaper. So I did a series of columns over the years uh, on different political uh, and social events that occurred and recorded those particular events. So this book is a review of some of the history that we've lived through. And one of the things um, prior to President, um, President Trump being voted out of public office, I wrote uh, about eight months beforehand a column that said he was, he was going to lose the presidential election. Um, and that prediction came true. And there have been other things that have happened locally that I thought was important to comment on. And so the book highlights some of the history that have occurred. Uh, you and I both know about the great struggle that it took to get an African-American woman appointed to the circuit court for more than 300 years that hadn't happened. And they didn't make any difference, as you know, who the governor was. It didn't. It, it could be a Republican. It could be a Democrat. <laughs> it could be a conservative. It could be a liberal. None of them appointed a woman of color in Anne Arundel County to the circuit court, period. And so uh, we were able to raise that issue. You will remember very well uh, the late speaker, Michael Bush, when you read, uh, originally was supporting the other candidates who were setting judges who were all Republicans. And it took some of us going to Speaker Bush and saying, wait a minute, you're a Democrat. How it is, it, is it that you're supporting these setting all white judges? And of course, he uh, publicly switched and announced his support for you. But those are the kind of things you have to do to hold people accountable. Now, your book is available on Amazon? Yes, Amazon and local stores, as well as the libraries. If people uh, in Anne Arundel County, they have stocked all the libraries with the books. And so um, 
people can definitely get the book there. Now, two more things before we close out today. And that is, uh, one, there was uh, a recent racist uh, graffiti incident uh, in Anne Arundel County. I mean, what do you suppose is, why is this just this engineering up where uh, all of these churches in particular are being attacked? And then you can tell us also about the Emmett Till app. We'll do so. Um, again, thank you. Um, Claudia, whenever you read American history, whenever, whenever there have been progress, there have been a reaction to that. Most people remember Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech in 1963, August 28th. But they've forgotten that following Martin Luther King's 1963 speech, I Have a Dream, a nightmare occurred on September 15th, 1963, six weeks after Martin Luther King Jr. spoke white bigots blew up a church and killed four black children in response to that. Whenever there have been progress in this country, there's been a reaction. Reconstruction was a reaction. Black people had gotten elected to public office. There was a black man who was governor of Mississippi of all places. Uh, blacks were making progress and you suddenly got this reaction and then we got the second reconstruction. I maintain that when President Barack Obama got elected. It unleashed the racism. It had always been there. Um, there was this backlash to it. And out of that backlash came Donald Trump. And of course, he gave permission to white supremacists and others to say what they want to do. So here's what we've come up with. <clears throat> it's important for the community and black leadership in particular to know when incidents like uh, the one you described that the church takes place. So we're creating the Emmett Till Alert app. And what's gonna happen is on August 28th, on the anniversary of the March on Washington, this alert's gonna be available to judges who happen to be African-American. It's gonna be police officers who are African-Americans. It's going to be civil rights leaders, clergy, uh, politicians, etc. And the idea is that from this point forward, whatever an incident, that occurs where someone is threatened to harm black people, we're gonna let our people know that it's going on. There have been incidents all over Maryland that have occurred that Marylanders who happen to be African-Americans, unless you live in that media community, do not know. The most atrocious one took place um, in June, last uh, four days of school in Wacomico County, Maryland, a white student threatened to go into the school and kill all the blacks. Um, people living on the Western shore didn't know about it. And so this alert would allow people all over the state when incidents like that occur to be put on alert that is taking place. So if you happen to be driving and you learn that there's a racial incident going on in some parts of Maryland, it'll give you the information you need to be informed and your family be informed that this particular area may not be safe for you to go into. So the app, uh, once it comes out, will it be available on uh, Apple's um, App Store and Google Play Store, or how will that happen? It's going to be free. The app's going to be free. You will be able to download. We will actually send to people who will ask for the app, as well as public officials who will get the app, because we're going to forward it to them. And it's just something we'll be able to download it. And again, the app works very similar to 
uh, the Amper Alert, when a kid has been, a child's been um, kidnapped, uh, you're immediately notified that that particular child's been kidnapped and certain basic information is given, what kind of car that person was driving, et cetera. Well, this app will work simple. We'll be able to tell people what kind of incident occurred. It's always going to be a racial incident if it's coming from the Emmett Till alert, but what kind of incident it is, whether it's somebody's home that's been firebombed or whether someone has been through mass shootings killed or whether graffiti has been placed on some church or whether property has been destroyed or desecrated with racist bigotry uh, images. So that's what it's designed to do to inform the community. That's wonderful. And how can, uh, again, our listeners get a hold of your book, Some for Watch Cross? I will say, I'll be on Amazon. Please feel free to do Amazon. Or so we can go to Amazon.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of our program today. We're back on uh, being well-informed, and uh, we are actually in uh, moving into the direction of uh, actually a new and exciting topic. And I'm happy at this time to uh, welcome Connell Lee. Hey. Hello, hello. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me today. Yes, I am thrilled that um, that you're here. And uh, I, I also am excited that you are, are, are here to share with us uh, specifically about the topic of long-term care insurance. And um, I, you know, I I see this as an extremely important topic because uh, you uh, are kind of a specialist in this field, wouldn't you say? You are Connell Lee, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Connell Lee, and um, I've been in the uh, financial services industry for the for the past seventeen years, uh, working with the um, Ameriprise uh, Financial. Uh, so my job is really to um, help people to make good financial decisions um, in regards to how to use their resources. Uh, so saving for retirement, education, educating the kids, but also making sure that the family is protected. And part of protecting the family is making sure that you have uh, the proper types of insurance uh, um, uh, uh, coverage for your family, which includes uh, looking at long-term care insurance. Now, we had a conversation earlier today because mm -hmm. you uh, are wonderful at, at doing financial investment work for me. And uh, one of the things that you clarified, which um, perhaps you can, again, better inform our, our audience about, there is a difference between long-term care insurance 
and long-term disability insurance. Can you enlighten us more? Yeah, so uh, one of the things I always ask as we're going through sort of a financial assessment um, and making sure that people have the proper insurances in, in place is uh, what insurances do you have? Uh, typically, when I ask about long-term care insurance, there's a lot of folks that get it confused with disability insurance. Um, and disability insurance, what that is, 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 uh, is, is income protection. So what that means is, is, you know, if you, you know, go to work, you know, a lot of folks, you know, have W-2 income, you get it, you get a paycheck. If something were to happen to you, you get sick, injured, uh, that would, something that would put you uh, out of work for a period of time. The disability insurance is what actually pays your salary, pays your income. So the disability insurance, usually for short-term disability, a lot of times you can get majority of your income covered. Um, if it lasts more than 90 days, which is typical with a lot of employers, uh, then the long-term disability will cover at least 60 to about 66% of your uh, uh, your, income. your family is uh, still trying to get back on your feet. So That's just so important because of income protectorily, uh, specifically the issue when it to um, insurance um, uh, that uh, has to do with uh, protection uh, if um, if you if you're that insurance the, the income protection the disability insurance that is really important for while you're in your working years so when, once you get into the workforce um, I always like to tell people you know your biggest asset is your ability to work you know if you think about you know if you you know earn you know let's say you know fifty thousand dollars you know over a course of of 10 years that's mm -hmm. if you do it over a course of 20 years that's a million dollars right uh, so over the course of um of 30 30 years that's a million and a half dollars so what you're essentially doing with with the disability insurance is you're protecting that income so if something happens, then you still have um, you still have income coming in coming into the family. So the difference where that comes in is, and as we'll share, we'll talk about um, um, as we get into it, is the long term care is really for um, is really is really move out of the workforce um, into your um, your your, uh, your retirement years. That's where the long term care really comes into play. So there's often been this concern when people begin to age and they get to the point where, let's say, in terms of your ability, let's say you had a stroke and you are incapacitated for 30 to 60 days uh, or more. How does long-term care insurance work? Yeah, so long-term care, what they uh, what it looks at is what they call the uh, what they call it is the uh, daily uh, 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 essential daily living functions. Uh, so what that includes is looking at things like uh, eating, bathing, uh, transferring, uh, continence. That's where you look at things like Alzheimer's or dementia, or things, or things like that that affect people, uh, and transferring um, um, all of those different types of things. Things that you normally attribute to just um, just the aging process. You know, I'm sure we all have um, elderly people in our family, and as they get 
older, they slow down a little bit, right? They slow down a little mm-hmm. bit and they need, they may need a little bit of help, you know, doing just sort of the, the, ba- the basic things. So the question is, is as you get, get older, uh, how are you going to get that help that you need? How are you going to accomplish getting the help that you need in order to make sure that when you, as you, as you age, that you can you know, age with dignity, age with dignity and, um, make sure that you know you know first of all who is taking care of you as you mm-hmm. age mm-hmm. Um, um and uh how's how's that going to happen well uh if you know um i had an aunt who uh aged and then there was this concern about medicaid spend down i mean how does that impact people who are in a long-term care facility yeah, so the federal program for long-term care is 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 through Medicaid. Okay, so um, sometimes people get you know, the two confused with you know, Medicare is really health insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where your that's where the retirement health insurance sort of come in. Um, Med- Medicaid uh, is designed, uh, like I said before, for the for the elderly or the retired folks to age with dignity. It was originally designed for people that did not have means to make sure that there was a that was resources set aside uh to, to take care of them and so sort of understanding how that program sort of came about um uh it's a huge piece of the budget if you look at the federal budget look at look at medicaid uh, it's a large large expense just in general to to, to be able to um, be able to take care of folks um, but to qualify for it, uh, you have to basically spend down most of your assets um, to a very low level. You can keep very, very little. Uh, usually, you know, no more than two to three thousand uh, dollars of your uh, of your financial wealth uh, you can keep. Uh, they want you to spend your money first. In addition to that, uh, they will also uh, want want you to subsidize. Uh, those costs with, you know, Social Security, or if you have any pension income as well, uh, they want your money first before they start putting the bill for, start putting the bill for those. Uh, for the long-term care, care facility exactly. expenses. Exactly. exactly, exactly. So, so you know, if if I purchase long-term care insurance, how would that essentially change the the medicaid situation or the spend down situation yeah so let's um let's just talk about just a little bit about just the overall cost right so if you look nationally like the co- what the cost of care is um for someone to, to stay in their home uh it, it costs somewhere around about five grand a month right that's for having a nurse or home health aid to come into come into your house. This is somewhere around about five grand a month. If you're looking at uh, full term, full uh, coverage, or full um, nursing home care, now now you're in um, uh, the the six digit range. So now you're looking at like a hundred thousand dollars a year for nursing home nursing home facilities. So it's, it's a it because the skilled facilities, skilled you, you know, you exactly. have access to nurses around the clock. It's 24 hours, exactly. It's 24-hour nursing care. 24-hour nursing care, exactly. Exactly. And they're, you know, administering medicine, all of those different types of all those different, right. all those different types of things. 
But wait uh, a minute. So long-term care insurance, though, now gives people the option, does it not, where if they don't want to move out of their house and I want to stay home and have home health care, how does the long-term care insurance come into the picture? Well, so the where that comes into the picture is if you have insurance, you can now choose how you want to have uh, care administered. Mm. Now, the state... And it depends on your state, but there there is some limited home care through through the state because the the even though Medicaid is a federal program, it's administered through the state. So right. there is some some uh, home health care through Medicaid now, as before there, there there's none, but it's very limited. Most of the care that you you see from coming from Medicaid is that you have to go to a facility, right? So okay. so if you don't want to go to a facility, then you have to pay for it. You have to pay for it. And that's where the insurance the insurance comes in. So this really is giving people an, an option if they're saying, absolutely not. I do not want to go to a long-term care facility. Correct. 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 And that's uh, one of some of the misnomers that uh, when I talk to people about long-term care, they think um, that they, that kind of um, throws them back when you start talking about long-term care. Because most people, when you think of long-term care, you think of the same thing you just said is like I do not want to go to a nursing a home because uh, everybody's we've all sort of experienced. I don't uh, want to sell my house. That's what they're thinking. Don't want to sell the house, or you don't want to be. You don't. You basically don't want to be in a hospital, right? You don't I don't want to be in a hospital forever. Correct. You don't want to be in a hospital. Exactly. Exactly. So this long-term care insurance now has has options. Yeah. So going back to um, one of your questions is, you know, how does it relate to the medic the Medicaid system, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's what's called a partnership program, and uh, what the partnership program is 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 uh, basically an incentive uh, by the federal government uh, for people to purchase insurance because, like we said before, it's very expensive and they want your money first, right? Right. So what, <laughs> what 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 they will what they will allow you to do if you purchase insurance, uh, they will say, hey, if you say you purchase, say, one hundred thousand dollars of insurance benefits. Right. And we could talk about what sort of goes into that. But just in general, you buy one hundred thousand dollars of insurance benefits. Uh, if you use that policy and say you use it all up. Right. You you stay, you use that. You use that policy. You know, you. You need it and you're staying at home and you use it all up and you still need care medicaid will say hey this person bought insurance so we're not going to force you to spend down that hundred hundred thousand dollars of your money you can keep that and that allows you to keep more wealth in your in, in your family so you have uh more resources to, to pass along to your family as opposed to uh working hard all your life to, only to have Know, long-term care expenses to sort of drain down the wealth that you have accumulated over your entire entire life and sort of um, uh, erode what you've what you built and worked so hard for. So you know, I'm thinking that there are a lot of people out there who love their home. They they really really love their home, and they can't you know get themselves to believe that they have to give their home up because their health is so bad. Yeah. So um, the the good thing about at least the, the Medicaid system is that they won't force you to, to sell your home. 
right? So if you if if, if you're by yourself or you have have a significant uh, spouse, it won't force you to to, to sell to, to, to sell the home, but um, they won't necessarily administer care there, right? Depending on your, depending on your state. So that's the thing to sort of remember is that if you do want to um, stay in your home, then the insurance can help with that. Um, another thing that can also help with is that if you have close family members that can administer health, um, it can also be used to also to, to compensate them for taking care of you as well. That's another benefit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are also, I'm seeing here quite a bit of other specialties that you uh, cover. So it's not just the long-term care insurance. I see that you cover retirement planning strategies, what is that about? Yeah, so um, retirement, I mean, that's uh, one of our major major goals that most people have. So retirement plan strategies is looking at what type of retirement plan vehicles and funding um, does the individual want to utilize to help to help them to be able to, one, save for retirement, um, and then two, you know, manage their the taxes in, in, in through retirement. So is there a rumor going on that 401ks uh, are not popular? Well, there, uh, I would still say that that's going to be pro primarily the, the dominant way that most people save, save for retirement. Um, but it, it is a movement that there are more and more people that want to retire earlier now, nowadays. Um, so if you have a goal where you want to retire you know, prior to age 59 and a half, uh, then there are some other strategies and some other techniques that you may want to utilize outside of a, a 401k that can allow you to access dollars without getting penalized. Penalized. You also have under your specialties education planning investments. What is that about? Yeah, so um, work with a lot of families and young young children that uh, you know um, one that's a major goal that I, I see a lot of times is. Uh, making sure that we can pay for college and college expenses. Uh, so there's a number of strategies that can be used to help individuals make sure that there's enough uh, funding for education. Uh, so there's a number of different strategies that you can use. You now the biggest one that most people uh, uh, look at is the 529 plan. It's, it's, the, it's sort of like it's the 401k to retirement planning. Now the 529 is the um, you no know, 401k of, uh, of education planning, but there, there are also other investment vehicles that uh, may be uh, profitable in that area as, as well. So depending on your situation, you, know, you may you may want to do a 529 plan along with uh, some other strategies uh, to um, nail down uh, your uh, education planning. Retirement income strategies, what do you do there? So retirement income strategies. Uh, so once you get to the point where you're saying, "Hey, I've accumulated uh, enough resources to retire," right? I made it. I made it to the mountaintop, right? You have to uh, have what well, we, we got to have uh, a strategy to uh, figure out how you're going to create a retirement paycheck. So how do you take the wealth that you accumulate and make a retirement paycheck? So uh, that what we do there is make sure that people are able to take whatever type of uh, assets they have for retirement to create income for it so that way they can have the retirement paycheck and live off of. 
Then there is cash flow management strategies. Yeah, so cash flow management strategies. Uh, so what that is is uh, really maximizing uh, uh, the uh, the bottom line in, in your budget. So whether that be looking at uh, the debt management, uh, how you receive you no know, refunds if you get refunds through uh, uh, in your tax return, um, resource allocation. Uh, most folks, you know, you have competing goals. You know, you have retirement. You got to protect your family. You know, you may have education planning for kids. It's looking at how do we, how can we sort of maximize your cash flow to get, you know, every dollar's worth that we're not, you know, waste, wasting dollars. Now, going back to re retirement plan distribution, uh, oftentimes people have 401As, 457Bs, and uh, 401ks in the private sector, sure. uh, 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 but uh, distribution uh, is something people often look forward to uh, as they age. Uh, and uh, some people really don't know the actual age where they can begin, uh, you know, uh, pulling from a retirement program without penalty. Yeah, so normally, so you're looking at uh, for normal retirement age, that's going to be 59 and, and a half. Uh, you can get money from an employer-sponsored plan at uh, age 55 without without penalty. Um, but for most for most folks, that what you're really looking at is 59 and a half, and that's sort of true of most plans. If you look at here in the you know the the uh, the DMV, as we say, a lot of federal workers, the TSP. You know, contractors, 401ks, things, things like that. 59 and a half is usually the, sort of the magic age where you can get money out without without penalty. Uh, with that said, that money is uh, uh, most folks mainly contribute on the pre-tax side, mm -hmm. which means when you put money in, you didn't get taxed on it. You took a deduction off of it. Mm -hmm. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars into one of those retirement plans, when you uh, go to file your taxes. It looks like you only made ninety, right? Because you put ten thousand dollars into a four four hundred one k or a TSP on the pre tax side. On the pre tax side, so yeah. when 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 you pull the money out, all that money is taxable at your ordinary income level. So right. it's you're receiving income um, at that point. So you you're going to pay ordinary income at that point when you pull start pulling the money out. So what about the Roth IRA? Is the Roth IRA something that is uh, helpful in in retirement planning or not? It is. Uh, so what we teach people and what we uh, uh, advise people to do is that you want to have uh, you want to be diversified in the type of assets that you save money into to give yourself uh, room to uh, control how you're getting taxed on those distributions. So the Roth works opposite as the uh, traditional IRA or the, the 401k. So you're not going to get a deduct deduction uh, now. So you're going to pay your taxes now. But the trade-off is uh, you don't pay any taxes anymore. So it's tax-free mm. for the remainder of your life, So which is nice. So if you put money in, so you know, say, say you put $10,000 into a Roth and it grows, in, grows into $100,000, you only pay taxes on the 10, but you now you have a hundred thousand dollar investment that's a hundred percent tax free, right? So that's the power 
uh, the Roth is you pay your taxes now is growing tax deferred, and when you pull the money out, it's 100% tax free. And if you have um, both tax free and uh, pre tax money, then you have some flexibility of where you want to pull your money out to help help control control your taxes when you get into the distribution planning. But if you only have the the pre tax side, then you only have one option and you know whatever that tax liability is is what that tax liability is you don't really have many choices so it's just a way to help hopefully um lower the overall taxes that you pay overall mm-hmm. uh and give yourself give yourself some flexibility and options in the future we only have a few more minutes so i thank you so much for coming and i just i, I see also under specialties you mentioned employee stock options how is that important for people who are uh, really working for companies and uh, they're, they're, they have stock options? Yes. So uh, stock options can be great if your employer ha- has those. So they can be a great place to uh, build, build wealth. Uh, but there are some you know, some tax ramifications uh, with that that need to be, be considered. We want to you know, utilize those type of investments to um, um, the maximum maximum benefit. So uh, on a case-by-case basis, we can look at those situations and see, hey, let's look at what type of options you, what types of options you have, look at um, how those things for tax and see how we want to best utilize it to reach your uh, overall financial goals. That is, that is wonderful. You have really, really, really uh, helped us out tremendously in better understanding uh, long-term care insurance in particular, and you have really, really knocked it out the ballpark for us and better understanding uh, what we need to know. So thank you so much for coming on board tonight. I appreciate your willingness to share with us so much information. And listeners, you have the website. Please be sure to click it and introduce yourself to Connell Lee. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome, Terry Gibson, Senior Director of Legal Shield. Why should we join Legal Shield? because it makes perfect sense. You know, when I was introduced to this um, many years ago, I thought about the fact that you could have unlimited legal counsel, you can have 24 seven emergency access to an attorney, you can have your will done for a fraction of what it will cost you to go through a traditional attorney. That's why you should join Legal Show. Well, it says that according to Investopedia, it is the best online legal services for 2022. Why do you suppose it received that rating? Well, because it is, because Legal Shield has top rate attorneys. Um, Legal Shield handles many different areas of law. Um, they have the company has been around for 50 years, so that's a lot of stability, and they have many success stories. Well, I understand also that if I wanted to sign up, and I already have Legal Shield, 
And I can really attest to the fact that it is a great product if you want quick, especially if you want quick answers to legal questions like, should I use my sick leave for COVID-19, um, you know, isolation? Um, and preparing a last will and testament. And we're talking about for the low cost of $29.95 per month. So let me repeat that, $29.95 per month. I mean, I, I don't know of any much, much, you know, any law firm that could match that. There is none. So the, the, the five P's in when we have a checklist for estate planning, all of this is covered for your $29.95 a month. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Legal Shield for that $29.95 will prepare for you um, a standard will, which is your last will and testament, a living will, a health care power of attorney, and a durable power of attorney. Those documents alone normally, as I understand it, comes to around $2,000 a month, but here it's included along with the other service for the $29.95 per month. Well, what about your spouse? The plan covers your spouse and your children under the age of 26. So they're living in the household in the exactly. same Yeah. Exactly. Living in the same household and all the members of the family are entitled to the same benefits. That's marvelous. Yes. That's absolutely marvelous. It is. So if, if we click this link that is currently on our screen, we would immediately go to this page here and it says protection for your family, your business, and your personal identity. Those are many options there. Right, 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 right. Because um, Legal Shield has coverage for your family. Um, Legal Shield also has coverage for your business. We have identity theft plans, CLP plans. I mean, many different um many different plans to cover whatever your needs are in life so that's why you have here choices that's wonderful because you still can uh, you know choose choose a traditional law firm but the for the quick answers to questions and what about contract review i find it extremely useful and i've been practicing for 34 years uh that uh it's good to have uh some uh, access to contracts, which you do get under this plan. Exactly. Absolutely. Because all of us probably know of a horror story of someone who signed a contract and had some uh, negative consequences because they signed something they didn't, um, that they didn't understand. Um, because the they, yeah. Because the, the, the option to pay an attorney somewhere between three and $500 an hour, the average person would probably just sign it as is. And say, no, I can't afford that. Exactly. So when they say that they are leveling the playing field here, they really do mean it because you are really getting uh, uh, a bargain rate for uh, access uh, to um, uh, consultations. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, prior to Legal Shield, uh, legal access was um, available to the rich and famous or the people who could afford it. So now, at twenty nine ninety five per month for a family, the level field is definitely uh, the playing field is definitely level because everyone now has equal access under law. That's wonderful. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Terry, for this uh, opportunity to share legal with the uh, legal shield with our audience. Thank you for having me.